Welcome to The Bread Project. Bread is the classic carbohydrate of civilization and the spiritual metaphor for the richness of our human experience on Earth. Yet the breads we buy in the modern supermarket are only a superficial impersonation of the breads of bygone days. Indeed, the bread you put in your shopping cart or buy from a local baker might be making you sick in ways you never even suspected. So what happened? And what needs to happen next? In The Bread Project, we're asking the question, in an age in which every carbohydrate is positioned as pure dietary evil, where chemical contamination of our food is endemic, and in which our food systems are industrialized beyond all natural reason, is there really a redemption story for bread? I'm Melody Patterson Meta, and, and this is Reinventing the Supermarket. Hi, today it's a real pleasure to welcome scientist and researcher Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Stephanie is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. As a biophysicist and electrical engineer, Dr. Stephanie Seneff brings the ideal skill set to the table to discuss many of the issues besetting our human health today. As the population experiences biochemical interactions and interruptions in our bodies from numerous environmental onslaughts. Over the past decade or so, Stephanie has focused a great deal of her time and energy on the relationship between nutrition and health, and she's had a very specific focus on some of the chemicals that have only been introduced to our foods in more recent decades. So in this discussion, we're going to put a lot of focus on glyphosate and the vast litany of health problems associated with it. To be fair, when glyphosate first hit the market, it was not known the extent on which we rely on plants in the form of our gut bacteria for our very lives. However, in the last few years, we've come to understand that those bacteria, those tiny plants that live in our guts, are something we cannot live without. And glyphosate is a cleverly formulated chemical designed specifically to kill plants. We're also going to discuss folic acid, which has become a mandatory addition to the flour most bread is made from, and the potentially dangerous side effects of the synthetic form being used. You didn't get a choice in this, by the way. Governments simply made the decision without much fanfare, and you and your family may be paying a hefty health price for it. We'll also be talking about how to avoid both glyphosate contamination and the synthetic folic acid contamination in the breads and other foods you eat. And be aware that with bread in particular, just choosing a labelled non-GMO loaf of bread is not enough. That non-GMO loaf is probably highly contaminated with glyphosate. So here we go, my mile-a-minute discussion with Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Glyphosate as a crop desiccant, chemical cocktails on our crops, folic acid fortification in our bread, the destruction of the human gut biome, the gluten sensitivity epidemic, the terrifying extent of the autism epidemic, and why don't we have informed consent for dangerous contaminants in our food supply? In this episode called Chemical Reactions, Reactions. Dr. Stephanie Seneff, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here to talk to. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. 
Stephanie, um, as you know, we want to talk a, a little bit about um, glyphosate in particular, as well as 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 well as folic acid, uh, mm-hmm. and probably a couple of other things. Seeing how we go for time, um, I'd like to know your initial thoughts, particularly on the subject of uh, glyphosate, where you think the discussion needs to start. I know I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure you do too. <laughs> Well, one thing I will say is, you know, there's a lot of chatter about anti-GMO here in this country, uh, and people are, you know, really uh, annoyed that the government refuses to label the GMOs here. And um, however, uh, people don't realize that it's not just the GMOs. So the GMOs cause a huge increase in your exposure to glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup. Um, it's, its usage in the United States has gone up 50-fold since the late 1990s. It's just incredible how much is around today. Wheat is not GMO. I mean, there is a GMO wheat, but the farmers refuse to accept it. But instead, they spray wheat with glyphosate right before the harvest, and they also spray sugarcane and barley and peanuts. And um, so wheat is is not GMO, but it, it is sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest, along with several other important major foods, such as sugarcane and peanuts, which goes into beer. And um, so the, the glyphosate is almost surely showing up in the wheat as a consequence of this uh, exposure right before harvest. They do it in order to kill the plant um, it, or, to, or as a desiccating agent. It'll actually make the sugarcane produce more sugar in the process of reacting to the poison um, and then leave less residue behind. With the wheat, uh, this, of course, it, it's partially actually improving the yield as well, isn't it? The weight Absolutely. of the crop. So Monsanto has done a pretty good job of marketing glyphosate to the wheat farmers who, as you say, they rejected wheat. Uh, not completely, but a lot of them rejected it uh, in terms of a GMO uh, product. But now they're still using it. They're using it now just to kill the wheat at exactly. the end of the crop. Which, which is the worst time because that's right before the harvest. It synchronizes a harvest, especially up in the north, like in Canada. It's it's uh, important for um, saving the carp crop if there's going to be a frost. So you can see why the farmers could be very pressured to right. think, I've got to get this wheat out of here before the frost. Yes. So you can sympathize with them, but they're poisoning us. Right. So uh, as I understand it, when wheat is, and, and I'll focus on wheat here because I'm specifically focusing on bread as a, as a product in supermarkets. When wheat is uh, sprayed with glyphosate, the glyphosate is actually absorbed into the cellular structure of the wheat berry itself. Is that correct? Right, directly into the seed. Right. So uh, now Monsanto has always marketed glyphosate and Roundup as a product that is biodegradable, that disappears after a while. But that's not actually what we know about glyphosate, particularly on wheat, is it? it I mean, it's, it's staying well, in, the, in the wheat and going into the flour, we presume. Yes, well, worse than that. I mean, they have uh, the whole process of, of evaluating glyphosate for use in production uh, was flawed. And, and my collaborator, Anthony Samsel, I mean, he's a personal hero of mine. He is so gutsy and out there and bold. And um, he managed to get the EPA to, to, to give him huge stacks of materials that were labeled secret. Monsanto got the government to label these materials secret. They were the early studies that Monsanto did. And, um, but but uh, through persistence, Anthony was able to get them. 
and he's been studying them. And one thing that Anthony discovered recently, which is, I think is very, very important, and he does too, all the studies that were done on animals were done on something called technical glyphosate, which is just basically pure glyphosate, whereas all the, in reality, when it's used, it's used as a salt. So they put different kinds of um, additional materials with it, which bind with it and make it into a salt, make it more water-soluble, allow them to put more glyphosate into the product, but they also add to it, and this is something that Professor Seralini has just recently uncovered. He's been well aware for quite some time that the formulations are much more toxic than the individual glyphosate, the pure glyphosate. And Seralini just published a study a few days ago, maybe a week ago, uh, with co collaborators. And uh, this study showed that, um, that the extra things that are in the Roundup, you know, even forget the glyphosate, what else is in the Roundup is 1,000 times more toxic at the acute level than the glyphosate itself. So, and, th and those things are unregulated, you know, untested, and they don't even know what's in them because they put into the product the residue after they've taken oil and processed it to produce things, you know, they take petroleum and they process it to produce oil, to, to, to burn, to use, to get fuel, to run their processing plants. Finally, they get this gummy residue that's extremely toxic with what, God knows what in it, you know, all kinds of complex uh, carbo carbohydrates and um, and various toxic metals, you know, and they just put that in there because they need to get rid of it. Otherwise, they'll have a problem with, you know, toxic waste site. And they want to kill the plant, so they know it's toxic. Let's just put it into the into the formula and label it secret. So they don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. Nobody does. So the chemical you know? cocktail is, yeah. is alarming as well. <laughs> Over and above the glyphosate itself, the ingredient right. glyphosate itself. And we really, apart from doing extensive research, clinical studies, it would be very difficult, I guess, to really understand what the outcomes are over and above the glyphosate, which, of course, we have some little bit of study about, I, I imagine. And also, those things make the glyphosate much more toxic. So both the salts, which is yeah. something different, and then that goo that they put in, which includes this EPOA, I think it is. There's a, um, a complicated chemical name for this product that people have assumed is in there. I mean, they don't label anything that's in the product. You know, They don't need to for, for some bizarre reason. But that uh, allows those things break... Uh, down the cell membrane, and they allow glyphosate to get in. So there's both, they're more toxic by themselves, and they make glyphosate more toxic. And I wanted to say glyphosate is not as acutely toxic as these other things, but it is chronically toxic. This is what really concerns Anthony and me. The glyphosate doesn't, uh, some of it goes through and gets out through the urine or through the feces, but there's a percentage that goes into the tissues. And Monsanto showed that very clearly in their studies. And it particularly goes into the glands. It gets into the lymph system, goes into the glands, gets into the brain. I mean, so it, it ends up right. and into the muscles. It ends up in the meat that you, uh, if you eat the chicken or, or the cow, you get glyphosate in the meat, in the milk. You know, it's... Um, it gets everywhere. It's in breast yeah, it's, milk. It, it's in women's exactly. breast milk now. It's falling in the rain. It's in the groundwater. We've got it pretty much everywhere. Right. Yes, it's, it's, it's quite... An, it's itself a terrible... Uh, epidemic pest has has become glyphosate. What I'm interested to talk about what happens to you, and I'm really keen on talking about the gut. What's happening to people when they consume food that is contaminated with glyphosate? Right. I mean, the critical thing that Anthony and I realized in our first paper, Anthony and I had written four papers together, and we have a fifth one right now under review. 
And in our first paper, we talked about the gut microbiome and the cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver, two critical things that are affected badly by glyphosate. Monsanto argued, very simple and wonderful argument, it, it disrupts this biological pathway called the shikimate pathway, which doesn't exist in human cells. And therefore, yay, 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 it's completely safe to humans. That's the, yes. that's the party line. And the shikimate pathway is only in plants, we are told. We're told, but that's not right. true. It's, it, it's in all the microbes that are in our gut. Pretty much all of them have a shikimate pathway. And in particular, the beneficial ones use that pathway to produce absolutely essential molecules for our needs. So because we don't have the pathway, we can't make the product. And the product is, is three aromatic amino acids, which are, play a huge role in, uh, in our mechanisms, in our biological mechanisms. So these are the um, tryptophan, tyrosine, and uh, uh, phenylalanine, those three amino acids, those are three of the 22 building blocks of proteins, you know, the, the right. basic uh, product of life. All the workhorses in the, in, the, in the cells are the proteins. They're produced with the DNA, you know, triple code signal and all that stuff. So um, really, really important basic components of our biology. Furthermore, they're precursors. Those three amino acids are precursors to a lot of really important molecules, such as all the neurotransmitters, serotonin, uh, melatonin for sleeping, uh, dopamine, um, uh, adrenaline, thyroid hormone, uh, and folate. Folate in particular is derived from the shikimate pathway. And there's other things as well, but those are some key ones that depend on that pathway. That's some pretty so, intense stuff right there. It certainly is. You don't want to be low in serotonin. That, that actually, uh, violent behavior is linked to low serotonin. And of course, you probably know in the U.S. we've had this epidemic of school shootouts mm. You know, uh, unruly, violent behavior that's way beyond what you would ever expect anybody to do is happening in this country. And I think it's because of the serotonin deficiency. Right. And the melatonin, uh, I've read recently, uh, we now know is uh, primarily being made in the in the gut. Uh, you are right. There was a belief for a very long time that I think it was the pineal gland that uh, mm -hmm. was. it was assumed that all melatonin was coming from there. But now we know that so much is coming from the gut. Yes, and serotonin is also mostly made in the gut. There, so, this is, uh, so this is affecting our moods. Absolutely. Our ability absolutely. to sleep at night. Right, and in the U.S. we have an epidemic in sleep disorder, and we've plotted it. We've gotten data from the CDC, and the, and the increase in sleep disorder very much mirrors the increase in glyphosate usage. Those two curves look very similar in, in America. So that's, that's extremely disturbing. I'm interested to hear about, I think you mentioned uh, adrenal complications there. Uh-huh, yep. Uh -huh. We're, well, the, we're hearing a lot about adrenals in people these days, uh, adrenal yes, fatigue. Adrenal Yes, absolutely. Well, there's a much bigger story there because glyphosate disrupts the, there's an enzyme called, I mean, there's a protein called STAR, steroidogenic uh, acute uh, regulatory, something like that, a protein. Right. Um, sometimes these things are complicated, but STAR, that's a better name for it. It's a superstar. And uh, STAR is a protein that um, ushers cholesterol into the mitochondria where it can be converted into all of the um, steroid hormones, you know, there's DHEA, there's all the sex hormones, you know, estrogen, uh, um, progesterone, testosterone, um, cortisone, all of those come from cholesterol and are produced in the adrenal glands mainly. Of course, the, the gonads as well, the, the testes get affected too. We have an epidemic in low testosterone and testosterone needs star to be produced because it's what gets the cholesterol into the factory. 
star gets it in. And, and uh, a lovely study was done, published fairly recently, showing that, in fact, there have been two, at least that I'm aware of, that show that Roundup, and it's not clear exactly what in Roundup, but it suppresses this, this protein and prevents it from working. And that's an easy way to disrupt the uh, bioavailability of those hormones in, in the adrenal glands. And we have a lot of uh, uh, issues with adrenal stress in, in this country. And adrenal Almost everywhere, I think, we're seeing just uh, an enormous upswing in people with adrenal issues. And, you know, you can put it down to modern day stress on a number of levels, but you would have to suspect that there are physical stressors going on as well. Right. And of course, star is also in the liver. And there it takes it converts cholesterol into the bile acids. So you end up with a disruption of the bile acid production as well, which is really important. The bile acids are sent back to the gut and used to help digest fat and also to deliver things back to the gut. So there's a whole bunch of problems there. Like manganese is uh, distributed to the system, to the whole bo body via the bile acids, bound to the bile, bile acids. And if that gets disrupted, manganese piles up in the liver and becomes toxic. Meanwhile, you have a manganese deficiency everywhere else. Now, manganese deficiency, correct me if I'm wrong, that's quite correlated to autism. Right. That's something that we discovered. And it's, it's amazing to me how many ways manganese deficiency explains the, the, the syndromes, you know, the symptoms you're seeing in autism. There's a, a well-known link to mitochondrial disease disorder in autism. And the mitochondria depend on manganese, the enzyme that... The detoxes of mitochondria depends on manganese as a catalyst. There's also glutamate, which is converted to glutamine using an enzyme that depends on, on uh, manganese. And you get, and, and autism has, a, a, is associated with excess glutamate and too little glutamine in the blood. And glutamate toxicity in the brain is another thing. There's lots of papers writing about that as a, as a link to autism. And then also uh, manganese is necessary for the pituitary gland to release thyroid-stimulating hormone which means that, that you'll have hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism in the mom is associated with a fourfold increased risk of autism in the offspring, in the child. Now, um, of course, there's a, quite a lot of hypothyroidism uh, popping up around the world as well at this particular moment. So that's another that's right. interesting correlation. And of course, the thyroid hormone, the hormone is a product of the shikimate pathway. So that's another reason that you would have deficiencies in thyroid. I do want to just circle back and let people know that if they don't know, manganese is um, is a mineral. That so that mineral is should be coming in in, in your food supply. So uh, what we're seeing with glyphosate apparently is it's in simple terms it is interfering with your ability to utilize critical minerals such as manganese. Right, and also the the plants don't take it up. Uh, Professor Don Huber has shown in his study dramatic, dramatic drops in the amount of manganese that gets taken up by the plant in the, in the, with, with there's exposure to glyphosate. So we're getting less in the food, and what we're getting is not becoming bioavailable in our body. It's piling up in our liver and becoming toxic. The liver probably ships, ships it off to the brain, um, brainstem, and you end up with excess manganese in the brainstem nuclei. That's going to cause things like Parkinson's disease. It's well known that um, manganese travels along nerve fibers, it's the vagus nerve uh, going from the liver to the brain, and manganese travels along uh, nerve fibers, and so it will it will be able to get into the brain, in particular, um, to cause Parkinson's disease. At the same time that you have deficiencies in manganese everywhere else. Is manganese the only mineral that is affected by glyphosate? 
Not at all. Uh, magnesium, uh, zinc, um, iron. Iron, I think, is, uh, is again also both toxic and deficient at the same time in some people because of uh, glyphosate, because it, it holds on to the minerals and makes them unavailable until it gets to an acidic environment. And unfortunately, the terminal watershed of the brainstem and also of the, um, of the kidneys, the places where the where the, the brain water, the, the blood water um, interfaces with things like urine and saliva, you know, those are the places where the blood is most acidic, and that's where glyphosate is going to unload its cargo. So it can carry, for example, aluminum into the brain, into the kidneys, and cause tr tremendous damage there. Um, and, uh, and also iron. Iron is toxic, free iron, but iron is absolutely essential for so many metabolic processes. So the body has developed really complex mechanisms for safely transporting these minerals, but um, these mechanisms break down in the presence of glyphosate. Same thing for sulfur. I mean, sulfur is one that I have written a tremendous amount about, and I believe sulfur deficiency is a huge issue in modern uh, disease. And so sulfur, iron, zinc, manganese, magnesium, at least those probably copper and selenium and molybdenum as oh well. Oh, my goodness. The glyphosate is uh, clearly uh, causing mineral deficiencies in us um, as well as in the plants that we're eating, uh, certainly for people who are choosing GMO uh, products. But in wheat in particular, as you, as you pointed out right at the beginning, the, the wheat that you consume that is not GMO is the wheat that's getting the glyphosate. So I just want to bring it back to labels and what people are buying in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. So when you walk into the supermarket, you can buy, look at a product, look at a loaf of bread, on the shelf and it can say non-GMO wheat and mm -hmm. that product can be saturated with glyphosate at the wheat state. That's right. That's and right. that's very terrifying because glyphosate really, in my mind certainly, is the primary issue that we have with GMOs at the moment. So all of the I fighting about GMOs is really about getting glyphosate out of the food. That's certainly, I agree with right. that. Right. So if you can buy a non-GMO product and it's got glyphosate in it, then you don't have any form of informed consent going on there. And that really bothers me a lot. I just want to d just mention something else about labeling. And, and that is that a, a product can say on the, um, on the label, uh, and this includes bread, it can say uh, made with 100% non-GMO wheat and in spite of the fact that that may have still be glyphosate filled wheat it can be primarily made with gmo wheat with that call out on the label depending on where you live and what the specific regulations are a, a label can look like it's telling you one thing but because the the documents are written in legalese they are a legal document the label um you actually can be you actually need to learn to read it a bit like a lawyer and understand what you're reading unless it states that there actually isn't any other thing in it other than for instance with wheat unless it states that it's made only with non-gmo wheat i'd also be looking for glyphosate free as a call out on the label i would be looking for non-gmo i'd be looking for glyphosate free i'd be looking for chemical free uh, at the very least um, do you have organic label the organic label organic is is excellent um, some of the very there are very good um, there are very good products out there that don't actually have uh, organic 
certification. Uh, small uh, brands sometimes can't afford the process mm -hmm. to get organic certification, and many of them are better right. than the average organic certified product. So chemical-free right. is a good call-out to look for on a label. Glyphosate-free, 100% glyphosate-free I'd be looking for, 100% chemical-free I'd be looking for. The non-GMO call-out on bread is not sufficient. So I just want to let people Absolutely. know that is not a sufficient call-out and you have to read the words around it and understand whether or not it's it's being mitigated in any way by other words. So if it says made with GMO-free wheat, that means it may not all be GMO-free wheat. It may be something else. It, if it's made with chemical-free wheat, that doesn't mean all of the wheat in that bread was chemical-free. So you actually need a, a very solid 100% chemical-free kind of call-out. And if it's, if it's certified organic, that's great because organic certification, while it's not a perfect process, is a huge step in the right direction mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So what other issues do you associate with, with glyphosate? Is that sort of what we've discussed, what you well, consider the main issues? Not at all. And in fact, I want to mention up the, mention the manganese with respect to the wheat because there's a very clear link with what I suspect may be causing the gluten intolerance linked to the glyphosate. Um, I mentioned the manganese. Manganese is essential for an enzyme called prolyl transpeptidase. And this enzyme is essential for breaking down the wheat. So if the manganese is being chelated by glyphosate, not available, the protein doesn't work, the wheat doesn't get broken, broken down. And especially because glyphosate disrupts the gut microbes, killing off the the uh, beneficial ones, allowing room for the pathogens to grow. You get the inflammatory gut, you get the leaky gut. So these uh, protein peptides of wheat that can't of gluten that can't be broken down go past the leaky gut and get into the blood, and then they cause this immune reaction that gets gives you your wheat sensitivity. So that makes perfect perfect sense to me. Glyphosate both opens the barriers and disrupts the ability to break down the wheat. And we have such an epidemic here. It's just incredible to me how quickly. Our stores, our grocery stores have developed, you know, massive sections of gluten-free uh, products yes. over the past 10 years. It's just sprouted up out of nowhere. And people you know? who are, their doctors are telling them, you're not celiac, we think you're absolutely fine. They may be somewhere on a range of sensitivity and it may not even be the gluten that they're reacting to is, is what you're saying. It, But they are feeling a lot better when they cut out products with grains in them. Because the glyphosate, I suspect levels are very high in the wheat, even worse than in some of the GMOs because it's sprayed right before the harvest. This was only started, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in about 2009, the um, the spraying of the the wheat with glyphosate as a desiccant right at the end. I think, yes, I think when Monsanto started really promoting it, I found some material on the web that was promoting this concept in Europe. You know, Monsanto's own document that was saying how wonderful this is and how well it works. And, and you know, farmers are trying it. It's working well. They're getting better yields. They don't see a downside because it's completely safe for humans. So, you know, it's just terrible that we don't, it's the lack of awareness of its toxicity that's really causing us a lot of trouble. America does, you know, we don't do, we do terribly on most chemicals, but we do have, you know, regulations that keep things better. For example, the air pollution is much better than in many other countries, you know, in China and India. There's some things we do better, but this one, we are the worst, I think. I mean, Australia is probably, I don't know, you guys probably have pretty high levels of glyphosate, I would guess. We, cons we consume 25% 
of the world's uh, supply of glyphosate in our country with only 5% of the population. So, and of course, we have very high autism rates. I'm aware that Australia has pretty high autism rates, I believe, I think as autism well. is, gu- is skyrocketing everywhere, everywhere. I, I think we're just seeing a global epidemic of autism. I'm interested mm-hmm. to sort of discuss just how much autism has increased because it's I think I've discussed it with people over over the past couple of years, and they really don't want to believe you <laughs> when you when you tell them the extent of the of the autism epidemic. Their response generally is, "Why aren't we talking about this?" I, it's incredible to me because if you just take the plot in the United States, which is available from the CDC since 1970. And you plot that on a log scale, you see that it's exponential growth. And that is an extremely scary thing. Is exponential growth really gets out of hand when numbers get big. And I've, and I've talked about the fact that the, the, the curve line, if you simply extend the curve um, into the future, you've that in 16 years, 80% of the boys born will end up on the auto, uh, autism spectrum in America. So and that's that is just four out of five boys in yes. 16 years mm-hmm. from now. Right, the born, born in sixteen years from yes. now, they'll end up diagnosed on the autism spectrum. It's it's absolutely untenable. that is that is shocking. I know that uh, it's gone from something like one in ten thousand children being diagnosed and uh, with autism to one in fifty. Yeah, something like that. We have one in sixty-eight was the most recent number from the CDC for twelve-year-olds, and then they did a general polling of, of parents and they found one in I think it was one in 44 or maybe 46 I mean it was under one in 50 and that's of the children and so for the boys it's much more because they have four times the right risk and I look at my children I look at they're in their 20s and if they were planning on having children sometime in the next 10 years or so they're running up against a, a statistical likelihood of having one out of every two of their children being born with autism <laughs> so if they have Two children, they will be statistically likely to have one child with autism. It's terrifying. That, it's just terrifying. And that is really something we ought to be talking about at the societal level. And while certainly there will be a lot of people who will argue that uh, GMOs, that glyphosate are not the responsible parties for that, where is all the research to at least allay our fears on this? Well, in fact, even if you say glyphosate is not, and in fact, the correlation is stunning. I mean, the two curves coincide when you look at uh, autism in first grade in the United States plotted against uh, glyphosate usage integrated over the previous four years. So from the age of two to the age of six in the child's life, those two curves coincide. They are identical in in the U.S. And folate, I think in Australia, I believe it's true too, uh, that folic acid is added to the wheat. It is in, yes. uh, Folic acid is added in uh, many dozens of countries now uh, to to the wheat. And it's mandatory. It's uh, being added to uh, flour. That So the bread yes. that you buy is uh, in many countries. Now, the UK is not one of those countries. The EU as a group is uh, not a mandatory uh, adder of um, folic acid. But the, um, the other Western nations, so Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States, South Africa, certainly a lot of um, Asian countries, most African countries, a lot of South American countries, mandatory folic acid. 
Yes, and uh, and it's interesting to look at the history because the United States decided to do this back in 1998, which was right at the same time they were introducing massive crops of GMO Roundup Ready corn, soy. Uh, so the the government, I suspect that they were noticing. I know they were noticing a rise in spina bifida, which is associated with folate deficiency, and so um, they were concerned about that. Um, I don't know to what extent they understood that glyphosate could be a cause of folate deficiency because of the fact that folate comes from the shikimate pathway. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science to recognize that idea. And so uh, I think that there is a massive problem with folate insufficiency due to the effect of glyphosate on the gut microbes, which are producing the folate for us, you know, and, and of course, there's also going to be disrupted folate uptake due to the uh, impaired gut uh, function due to this pathogen situation, all this inflammation, leaky gut, you know, you're going to have trouble with absorption of B vitamins, um, along with a, a, a lack of production of folate. So you're going to have a deficiency, but you don't fix it by adding folic acid to the wheat. It's a terrible idea to fix it that way. In my, It's opinion. actually quite startling because if there's a problem that's caused by glyphosate, which is being sprayed on the wheat and causing a folate deficiency, then the cure to that is to not consume bread that has been where the wheat has been sprayed with glyphosate. However, the government is not looking at that as the solution. Instead, they're saying we need to put folic acid as a fortification. Uh, and of course, there's a very big international movement to fortify as many foods as possible with all sorts of weird, wonderful um, synthetic things. But um, this idea of fortifying with folic acid sounds like a, a nice idea on the surface. Yes, but it, it's, there's, it's very interesting. And I, I really uh, dug deep into this last year because I did a presentation on folic acid at the Western Price Foundation's annual meeting in November. And a um, really fascinating topic. And what you find out is that it's methyl folate is what you need. It, it, it's a um, folate. I've been saying carefully saying folate when I'm talking about deficiency and folic acid when I'm talking about supplement. They are not the same thing, and people don't realize that folic acid is an oxidized form of folate, and it, of course it doesn't have the methyl group either. Methyl folate is what you need when you take tons of folic acid. When some people, are, you know, some people, mothers, for example. You know, they're, they're eating all this wheat with all this extra folic acid. And then they're, in addition, many of them are taking folic acid supplements. A shocking percentage of the people in this country, maybe 40%, are taking folic acid supplements, thinking that they desperately need it. But the folic acid, uh, normally the gut microbes will methylate the folate that comes into, in the food or that's produced by the microbes. Right. They methylate it before they ship it, ship it out. So methylfolate is going out of the gut ready to go. However, folic acid... And they didn't realize this until recently. Recent studies have shown that folic acid is hard for the gut microbes to convert it to folate. So they can't, they can't make folate from the folic acid, and therefore they can't methylate it because you can't methylate it until it's folate, right. which is a reducing process. So instead they ship out the folic acid. It goes to the liver, and the liver is tasked with both reducing it to folate and adding the methyl group. This is going to deplete the liver of, of, its, um, of its antioxidant capacity and deplete it of its methyl So groups. now the liver you mentioned before was already under stress because of the glyphosate in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. now it's a double whammy because you've got the glyphosate exactly. on the wheat, you've got the folic acid as a fortification being added to the flour. So when you eat that, the bread made 
in that process that's a regular bread out of the supermarket not only are you putting a huge strain you're actually i imagine you're probably not just straining your liver you're almost coming out of it with less nutrition than you had before you ate the bread exactly less nutrition than you had before so the folic acid is stressing the liver. The liver is like, oh my God, I got more of this folic acid. I got to keep on doing this. It's losing NADPH, which is really important. It's losing glutathione. These things are all becoming oxidized. So the liver is facing tremendous oxidation pressure. And at the same time, glyphosate is disrupting its supply of glutathione. So it doesn't even have enough to work with anyway. And of NADPH, that's another product of the shikimate pathway. So it's just like a train wreck for the liver. And so what the liver will do is to say, you know what, There's, here comes some more folic acid. I can't deal with it. I'm just going to let it go. So the liver allows the folic acid into the blood, into the main bloodstream, because it can't do it. It's too busy doing all these other things. And then the really interesting thing is that folic acid can go to the brain, bind to the receptors, to the folate receptors, and disable them. So the, so the, the person thinks they're making sure they have plenty of folate, and actually they're working against that they're actually disabling the ability of folate to get into the brain. So they can have normal levels of folate in the blood and very deficient folate in the brain. And, and folate deficiency can lead to autism. That's a, fact, a feature of so autism. So it's very in interesting brain. because uh, a lot of people do rely on their blood tests to tell them that they have safe levels of various things and folate is one of them but blood tests are not always a good indicator i know they're not a good indicator for instance of magnesium levels um so mm -hmm. uh, what you're saying is that the same goes if you have a blood test that tells you you have good levels of folate that may not apply to your brain and the brain's a pretty important place it certainly is that's how you're going to get um the, the baby, so the developing embryo is going to be affected by the folate deficiency in the neural tube, which is you know all, all the brain. You have these uh, exencephaly, anencephaly, microcephaly. All these problems with the brain of the, of the child can be related to insufficient folate in the brain of the child. So the pregnant woman is is in America prescribed folic acid usually I think throughout the pregnancy, and it, in the early months of the pregnancy, insufficient folate is what's going to set you up for this neural tube these neural tube problems, which are really sad. And we've got, I mean, there's, a, there's an amazing story in Western United States in the uh, state of Washington, a place called uh, Yakima, yep. Yakima, Washington, where they have an epidemic going on with anencephaly. The child's born with no brain. It has only the brainstem, no, no cerebral cortex, really, really shocking. And of course, Brazil also has this issue with microcephaly these days associated with the Zika virus. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's all over. It, it, it's not the virus. I, I think it's the toxic chemicals. The, the area in, in East Northeast Brazil, very, very interesting because they grow, um, they grow sugarcane and they grow um, soy. They have the GMO Roundup Ready soy, the sugarcane sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest. Um, they've got a lot going on there. They've got, you know, glyphosate resistant weeds. They've got a new uh, glufosinate resistant uh, uh, GMO that they're putting in of the soybeans. Glufosinate, I think, is the is being lined up as the big replacement uh, for glyphosate. Exactly, <laughs> and and it's equally bad. And and I I understand. I have a theory for how glyphosate and glufosinate would work synergistically together to increase the risk to uh, to these problems with the uh, neural tube development. And I think the microcephaly epidemic in Brazil is due to that mixture since 2010 they just approved the uh, glufosinate resistant soy because of the massive development of glyphosate resistant weeds that's why the use of glyphosate keeps going up 
And so right. mixing in the glufosinate resistant soy in some of the fields with the glyphosate resistant soy in the others, these people are getting both. And together, they are a perfect storm for glutamate disruption, which is a link to, uh, to the problem as well. I mean, there are so many problems that can disrupt development in that toxic mix of all those chemicals that they're getting. My guess is that the uh, glufosinate, I don't, I'm, I'm certainly no scientist, but my guess is glufosinate is simply disrupting a different pathway and not the shikimate exactly. pathway. Well, it's interesting because both glufosinate and glyphosate are uh, analogs of, uh, of the principal coding amino acids. Glyphosate is an analog of glycine and glufosinate is an analog of glutamate. And so, and glutamate and glycine together excite the NIMDA receptors in the brain. And there's an association of excessive NIMDA receptor excitation with autism. And um, so there's, um, there, the idea of, a, of a, an analog of an amino acid as a, a toxic chemical to, uh, to kill weeds, I think, is something that the industry has caught on to. And so they've got these two. Interestingly enough, 2,4-D is not an amino acid, but it binds to a class of amino acids called the branch chain amino acids. And it binds to the members of that class and turns them into monster amino acids. So these things are, are uh, displacing the amino acid counterpart in everything that amino acid does for the body. And so that is major. And major amino acids are the very building block of life. That's right. Those are the 22 coding amino acids are the pro proteins are made up of those 22 coding amino acids. But you can actually, what we're theorizing, Anthony and I, in our most recent research is that in both the case of glufosinate and glyphosate, the, uh, the, the chemical is displacing its amino acid counterpart in the protein synthesis. And so the wrong thing gets into the protein that messes up the protein's ability to do its job. Right. Now, I'm just having a quick think about the, you know, if you're running the brand story over at Monsanto, Monsanto, certainly in terms of their product lineup is saying, well, the days are numbered for glyphosate because more and more people are becoming aware of it. Discussions like the one we're having now and certainly discussions that you obviously are having on a regular basis, Stephanie, are helping to break down the glyphosate, the glyphosate brand. Um, Monsanto is, I think, firing something like 16% of its workforce uh, on yes. Roundup. I feel very sorry for those people. I hope they can get jobs doing something a little more positive for the planet, <laughs> for humanity. Um, so we know that sales are dropping. So they have to, in their mind, they have to create something that moves in and takes the place of that. And because the research is so bad, there's just not – great research being done they know it took it took over a decade for for really for this story to start getting out in a big way about glyphosate so now it's going to take they presume still many years for the glufosinate story to really start coming through mm -hmm. and in the meanwhile they'll make a lot of money exactly i think they'll just keep on saying oh well here's another chemical oh that one was too bad i'm sorry that it didn't work out here's another one right, right? and and it also because of the weeds so that, so some of the farmers may not even realize that ever that their product was toxic, simply that it just stopped working because that's the other thing they face is these glyphosate resistant weeds. And of course, in America now, we've got a new, uh, a new product called Endless Duo. I don't yes, know if I have. That. Endless yeah. Duo. yeah, glyphosate plus 2,4-D, right? So they're basically saying glyphosate plus, you know, okay, let's just add some more chemicals because the glyphosate by itself isn't working adequately for those resistant weeds. We'll just put another other toxic chemical into the soup. And of course, they've never studied anything about the effect of the two working synergistically on, you know, animal, on animal studies. There are none. 
So who I knows? do want to who go knows? back to the, the whole issue of the studies because, you know, where the hell are all the studies? Now, as I understand it, it takes right. a number of months in a, in a clinical study for the effects of glyphosate to show even on lab animals. And so Monsanto never ran the studies long enough to see the effects. Is that correct? And not only that, they ran the wrong studies because they used this is what I talked about before with Anthony, the, the technical glyphosate, which is pure glyphosate. Is what right. is the only thing they ever used. I mean, Anthony checked uh, this one, that one, this one, that one. He looked through all these things every single time in the abstract. Technical glyphosate. That's the pure glyphosate, which is much, much less toxic than the glyphosate salt. Right. And then on top of that, all those extra junk that's added in there to make the, the, the cell membrane permeable so the glyphosate can get in. So all of that is working to make it hugely more toxic than it would otherwise be. So they have, first of all, the studies are not on the right product. And secondly, the studies are too short. In fact, they actually made a mandate. What, what, what Anthony thinks happened, they did a long-term study. I thought my, Monsanto had not done any long-term studies, but it turns out they did do uh, a long-term study on, I think it was rats and mice. And they found that if you wait long enough, you start to see all these insidious effects that we're seeing in our health, you know. And these mice were getting nasty. Uh, they were getting tumors. They were getting damage to their kidneys, their liver. Uh, they were getting glyphosate in the brain. You know, they were, they noticed all of this. And so their solution was, first of all, to label those studies toxic, uh, label them secret. And secondly, to, to declare, oh, yeah, three months is plenty of time. Right. If you look at a toxicity study for three months, you're done. And the, the, the problems don't show up until four months. And they knew that. That's why they made the rule. That's Right. And in fact, in humans, it's not obvious. It, we, it, we really aren't advanced enough, certainly in our medical science, to be able to spot this kind of problem. It, uh, I've I, I probably sound like a bit of a doomsayer, but I always say if we died more quickly from some of the things in our food, at least the government regulators would be forced to deal with that. But because we are dying slowly from so many of the things that are in our food yes. and we are just be developing in ill health over a longer period of time, um, then the regulators don't feel under any pressure. Right. Yeah. And they get off the hook because they can't, you can't say, you can't, it isn't clear. You know, you take something that's so toxic, you you know, and you start throwing up, clearly you've got a problem with that. Yeah. That's not what happens with glyphosate. It just insinuates itself into all your tissues and accumulates over time in your tissues to the point where you finally get some nasty thing. You know, the neuropathy, all of the uh, joint problems. So people are in America in such pain. We're taking overdoses of all kinds of opioid painkillers. You know, we're just an epidemic and the people are switching to heroin. I mean, we just have such a mess here with all these people that are just all these aches, pains, back pain. That's being caused by the glyphosate, I think, accumulating over time. There's, so you've got the, the glyphosate is causing you to become <laughs> um, uh, deficient in minerals. Uh, yes. It's causing you to be, develop um, inflammation. Uh, yes, inflammation everywhere, everywhere. Immune problems, it's causing you endocrine system problems, so thyroid and adrenal problems. Mm -hmm. It's causing liver stress. This is a, a host of issues. And I'm talk just talking right now to shoppers and to small brands. You can actually circumvent that by simply buying organic, certified Absolutely. organic. If you buy something with that organic certification at least in the in the short term i know i certainly will recommend chemical free if um if you can't get organic but in the short term just to protect yourself organic is at least one way to circumvent all of this pain and anguish that's being caused by glyphosate right 
Um, Absolutely. I'm very interested in nutritional deficiency as a result of this. I, I kind of have this picture in my mind of people eating these slices of bread and then they're actually more nutritionally deficient at the end of that process than they were before they ate it because the glyphosate is causing their body to either not be able to process the nutrition that they just uh, consumed or it's causing them to take minerals that they already have or other substances they already have in their gut and store it away because they the body is no longer able to actually u- utilize that. Right. So the gluten, when you have these issues that people get from eating uh, wheat, they end up uh, with very bad absorption of, of the min- of especially the B vitamins, for example, and even the minerals. So things are not absorbed. So you become you know zinc deficient because your body can't absorb it because the gut is being uh, messed up by this um, by the glyphosate causing all the disrupted bacteria and all the inflammation. You know, so it's really a downhill battle. You really have to to heal. You have to start with healing the gut. It's so important, and I recommend. You know, eating um, foods that have natural live uh, microbes, probiotic foods like you know yogurt and sour cream and um, and uh, kimchi and um, sauerkraut. You know, all of these fermented foods are really, really important for helping to replace the gut microbes. And then everything organic and sourdough bread. I love sourdough bread. Organic sourdough bread is my favorite bread. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, you know, if you're a pregnant woman, and in a minute I want to talk about what happens with the folic acid uh, uh, overdose that um, non-pregnant women are getting as well, um, uh, people who aren't pregnant. But um, if you're a pregnant woman and you're wanting to get folic uh, or folate, not folic acid, folic, remembering folic acid is the synthetic version is that that correct stephanie that's right that's right and folate is the natural version so you're looking for folate not folic acid if you have organic bread and uh you choose uh, have a big bowl of spinach spinach is rich in folate um liver and lentils these are uh, foods there are lovely foods out there that are very rich in folate so consume folate rich food and get the glyphosate out of your diet and particularly get it out of the the bread that you're consuming because that big sort of uh, these certainly these chemically risen uh, uh, breads that we're seeing these days they're just a big lump of chemicals going into your gut and essentially screwing up everything that you've got going on in there and you really need that nutrition if you're pregnant but you need that nutrition if you're not pregnant and I'd really like to talk about sort of what's happening to to people who are consuming all this folic acid uh, who, who aren't pregnant you know um as i'm reading there are um a lot of issues with folic acid overdosing well really really what i'm seeing is uh, early but very strong indications coming out in some research of uh, correlations to colorectal cancer uh, to an, uh, to a number uh-huh. of cancers there's certainly a, a very strong correlation between oh, yeah. high folic acid consumption in the foodstuff and in your foodstuffs and um and cancer oh yes i actually wrote about that i'm glad you reminded me <laughs> my pleasure <laughs> yes colon cancer because that's quite interesting because folate was supposed to be protective from colon cancer and again now they're seeing in studies that folic acid works the other way that it actually increases your risk to colon cancer and probably because of the stress on the colon of the of the of the uh, oxidized form, you know, because trying to reduce it, I said the the gut microbes have a hard time reducing it, the folic acid, and so there's stress in that um, 
oxidized folic acid, which is going to deplete the antioxidant capacity uh, in the um, in the colon. Right now, because um, you're talking about oxidation products that are coming out of uh, out of all of this that we're discussing, the folic acid and the um, and the glyphosate, and of course, it, most people don't think in terms of oxidation products, but they have heard of antioxidants, so they know mm-hmm. that there's something that they have to take antioxidants for. Can you just explain that a little bit for people to understand? Yeah, um, right. Uh, so oxidation in general is um, is uh, dangerous, you know, and, and people and you have a lot of oxidation damage going on, for example, in the blood vessels. Oxygen itself is, of course, the, the big source of oxidation damage. And oxygen, when oxygen gets... Uh, nuked in a sense by say sunlight or something it turns into superoxide it's kind of a neat word wow. superoxide that sounds that scary is, <laughs> yeah and and superoxide is what you need to actually be able to metabolize sugar and things like that you know but um uh, but superoxide just like um you know iron and uh, and manganese right oxygen and sulfur as well both are difficult to transport you know they're difficult to manage to get them to where they need to be so they can do their job. Their job is, in a sense, uh, oxidizing. So you, you have to be able to oxidize things in order to be able to metabolize them, like sugar. Oxidized products in the in the blood, again, correct me if I'm wrong, are um, associated very strongly with um, heart disease. Yes, that's right. Oxidation is a huge issue uh, everywhere and, uh, and causes. So what you do is you oxidize your tissues. You know That's what you don't want to do. You want to oxidize. You want to burn the fuel, your sugar that you're eating. And you need to sort of be able to contain the oxygen and hand deliver it to the mitochondria in a safe way, sort of like those trucks that carry around oxygen that have really thick walls, you know, right. they know it's explosive and it's explosive in your body as well, in a sense, you know, so the body has these ways. It has the hemoglobin, which carries the oxygen inside the red blood cells. Glyphosate prevents, uh, it interferes with the synthesis of hemoglobin because it comes from glycine. That's really, really interesting. Um, so you, you, you have a, a problem with the supply of hemoglobin. The red blood cells are very highly stressed by glyphosate um, because they, uh, it, it interferes with an enzyme that they use to reduce uh, all these oxi- antioxidants. So you have like vitamin C um, and glutathione. I'm kind of getting short of breath just listening to you because I feel like I feel like because those red blood cells have to carry oxygen around the body. I feel like uh, surely we're all a little bit oxygen starved on this high glyphosate food. Oh, it's amazing. We have an epidemic in anemia around the world. You know, there's an epidemic in, in anemia. And that's, I think, because the red blood cells are being killed by the glyphosate. Um, because it, it not only prevents... So it's very interesting, actually, with the vitamin C. Just take vitamin C, for example, and that's a very healthy nutrient. A lot of people are taking huge amounts of vitamin C, you know, because we have a vitamin C deficiency it's a, as well. It's a life-saving, uh, life-saving nutrient. It is, but if it needs to be reduced. And so it has the same problem. If vitamin C is oxidized, it actually can work in the reverse. It's a, it's a pro-oxidant rather than an antioxidant. And the red blood cells are tasked with the job of making sure the vitamin C is in the reduced form in the blood. They take in the oxidized vitamin C, they reduce it, and they ship it out ready to go as an antioxidant. And they use an, um, a, uh, an enzyme to do that, which actually takes glucose as the input. So it, it uses glucose, sugar, sugar as the reducing agent. And so fascinating, the biology is fascinating, but so, but that enzyme that takes glucose as a reducing agent and fixes the vitamin C is busted by glyphosate. And that means if the blood cells can't do that, so you get oxidized vitamin C, 
in your blood, oxidized glutathione, you know, all these things, NADPH, these things are NADP plus, you know, it's oxidized versions of all these antioxidants uh, that don't work anymore, actually work in the reverse because the red blood cells can't do their job. So Stephanie, is this um, in impacting our ability to manage glucose? Because this is another area that we're seeing huge problems with in the world is the inability to manage uh, uh, glucose metabolism. Right, I know, and and it certainly is part of the problem. I, I, Anthony and I have a fifth paper that we're working on uh, that we're is under review right now. I don't know if any journal is going to dare to publish it. To be right. honest with you, but in that paper we propose that glyphosate is substituting for glycine in during protein synthesis. A precedent has been set that by other non-coding amino acids that have substituted for their coding counterparts. So it's, it, it's something that happens in biology, and we believe it's happening with the glyphosate and the glufosinate. And if it's true, there's the insulin receptor depends critically on a glycine in the molecule to work properly. Molecules replaced by glyphosate, it won't work, the insulin receptor. I want to just connect back to people, for anyone who's not understanding the, the word glycine. Glycine is, rela is related to glucose. Can you just quickly explain that? Yeah, glycine um, is one of the coding amino acids, so it goes into the proteins. And the important way that you link to the glucose, in my opinion, is that the insulin resistance. So once you have uh, insulin receptors that aren't working, the insulin receptors are what allow the cells to take up the glucose. I know this is very complicated science, and I'm sorry about that. But the Don't insulin apologize. receptors are the thing that gives you the uh, insulin resistance, which then becomes the diabetes. So the insulin receptors, I think, are being getting their glycine displaced by glyphosate. And as a consequence, they aren't working. And so, for example, the insulin receptors in the liver, they exist on the cells. They take this stored glycogen and convert it into glucose and release it. So they, if, they, if their insulin receptors aren't working, they're going to pour more glucose into the system. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a route to link glycine to uh, glucose problems. But it starts with, in my opinion, like that glycine is an essential amino acid in the, in the protein uh, that is the insulin receptor. Right. And that uh, allows glucose to go into the cell. That's right. how, and so if that receptor isn't working because there's glyphosate there instead of glycine, which will break it, then the glucose stays in the blood and the cells don't take it up. And you get high glucose and you get diabetes and all of that. Uh, worse than that, in the liver, the cells that actually are charged with releasing glucose into the blood when it's deficient are sensitive to the, with these insulin receptors to decide. They use their insulin receptors to decide whether they should release glucose or not. If their receptors are blocked, they're going to think that means there's not enough glucose, there's plenty. And so they will go ahead and release more glucose into the blood and cause a, an even higher load of glucose uh, in the, in the blood, which will then, and glucose, of course, is a nasty glycating agent, just like iron, glucose is both essential and dangerous, you know, right. because it, uh, in the, too much in the blood will, will cause all this glycation damage that is linked to diabetes and, and damage lots of blood proteins and cause a, cause a mess. Now, I know this is all very terrifying stuff, um, and I just want to sort of cover one last terrifying thought, but I, <laughs> before we sort of start um, uh, finishing up, but um, I do want to say to people who listen to this, it, it was very important to me that Stephanie be able to talk about some of these pathways and some of these processes, because I'm hoping that more than just shoppers listen to this discussion at some point. I'm hoping that people in manufacturing, people in um, uh, the 
in the whole um, supply chain from wheat growers all the way through to retailers start to understand that we need to actually get uh, glyphosate in particular and folic acid as well out of our food supply and particularly at this point in bread because bread is uh, such a, a, a common everyday food people do consume quite a lot of it I just want to so I don't want people to be frightened because there's such easy ways to deal with this in your life so you don't need to be frightened you can make very simple choices that take it out of your life but you you do need to be aware that this is really dangerous stuff and that serious scientists are doing serious research work looking at all of these dangers but it takes so long to get from the science to the supermarket that you have to make your own choices today for your own health because no regulator is standing there protecting you from what is in that product which is not even labeled glyphosate is not labeled on the product because it's sprayed on the wheat so you're never going to see it labeled on the product so i um I just want to say to people, don't be terrified, but understand that this is a scary thing. And we do, all of us making choices help to lead the right choices, help to lead the entire supply chain into a healthier, better set of choices all the way back to the farmer, because eventually they realize that if they don't make the right choices all the way back at the farm, then that product's not going to sell when it gets to the supermarket. And that's how you can help to change the world. Um, I do want to just cover off, because it's just such a, a simple thought to me um, that that I really want to um, uh, deal with on glyphosate, and that is that it's an antibiotic. Right, yes. And I think a lot of people can wrap their heads around the fact that, you know, we're worried about having too many antibiotics out there in the world. And glyphosate is actually patented as an antibiotic. It's not, we're not just guessing at, right. it, at it being an antibiotic. Monsanto it patented it. Before it patented as a wheat killer, actually, earlier. <laughs> There we go. Yes, I think it was back in 2002, 2003. I went, I checked the patent myself. Anybody else can go online and check it. It's there. You can read it. It is an antibiotic. So if you're eating a slice of bread that is not labeled as organic or reliably lab labeled as chemical free, and if you live in Australia or the USA or Canada or New Zealand or Brazil, a lot of countries around the world, you are just eating a big slice of antibiotic. Right. And really, you know, a few hours later, you should be taking probiotics. And as you said, Stephanie, you should be helping to uh, uh, heal your gut by eating good um, yogurts with with live live culture yes. cultures in them. You should be uh, helping to heal your gut. You've got to treat it just as if you had taken a course of antibiotics. And I think that's the reality of it. You need to look seriously at the bread that you consume. Right. And in fact, it, I've done some, there's some papers written recently that are quite interesting that show, number one, is that when the, uh, the pathogens are exposed to one antibiotic, they can actually develop a generic solution of resistance, not only to that antibiotic, but to other. It can become very quickly resistant to other antibiotics that they're exposed to. A, a small dose of one antibiotic will prime those microbes to be uh, quickly become resistant to other anti antibiotics. And glyphosate is actually, has been shown in a specific study to, to do this, to make, to give these, um, 
these pathogens the power to quickly adapt and resist other antibiotics. And that's why we have, I think, this epidemic in you know, MRSA. We have this multiple antibiotic-resistant staph aureus. We have the C. difficile. We have a lot of problems, Pseudomonas, aeruginosa, all these microbes in the hospital. So, you know, somebody goes yes. in to get a simple appendicitis operation and comes out dead because they pick up some nasty infection in the hospital and you throw all the antibiotics at it and it says, ha ha, I don't care, and takes over their body. It's really scary what's happening with right. the antibiotic resistance, which I think glyphosate is causing. One antibiotic is making the microbiome in the gut resistant to other antibiotics. Yeah, it, it's empowering them to be able to actually push those antibiotics. It learns how to dump um, toxins that come in efficiently because it learns how to dump glyphosate. It starts with being able to dump out. The glyphosate comes in and it has these powerful motors that can throw it out, you know, and keep it low inside the cell. And then it can do that to the other ones as well. Once it learns that skill, it can just apply it to the other antibiotics. That's really scary to me. And glyphosate, which I think is just the gift that keeps on giving, is, uh, <laughs> right. is really, is um, uh, with the uh, shikimate pathway uh, interruption that it creates, as you said earlier, it specifically is targeting your good gut bacteria more so than your bad gut bacteria so when you eat something that's contaminated or has been sprayed with glyphosate you're actually encouraging the growth of bad bacteria in your that's gut right that's right yes lactobacillus in particular which is the one that really has to get, get hold get a stronghold after you're born that's the one that drinks the milk in a way lactobacillus so important to nourish them and get them to grow flourish and um, they critically depend on manganese. So that goes back to the manganese deficiency problem. It knocks out the lactobacillus and then you allow room for the pathogens to grow. So I'm really keen to say to people, you, you need to look for organically, organic bread, certified organic bread. Now, uh, you, you want it to be folic acid free. Now, um, an organic uh, producer of bread or an organic flour, organic wheat flour, is allowed to put folic acid into the into the bread. So uh, you want to know that that is folic acid free. I encourage people to contact the brands, contact the people who are making your food. If they don't have a website or if you can't speak to them on social media, don't buy the product because they aren't a real brand. There are a lot of brands out there that are owned by the supermarkets themselves. They're not really real brands. They're just cardboard cutouts that are there. You can't contact anybody. You can't get any information. You can't give any feedback. Don't encourage them. Work with brands that are real people who are interested in what you have to say. Tell them, phone them. Do you have folic acid in your organic bread? If they tell you, no, we don't, tell them, I want to see that on the label. <laughs> I great. want you to write it on the label so that I know because that label is your legal dec declaration to me that that's got no folic acid in it. Don't listen to the person in the health food store if you go into a health food store to buy organic bread because they don't know. Half the time you walk in two different days, ask two different people, you'll get two different answers. So you want it on the label. So contact the brand, tell them, put it, that it's folic acid free on the label. Look for organic bread so that you're not getting glyphosate on the product. And this goes for all products, of course. You're looking for organic so that you don't get glyphosate. Glyphosate's 
probably the number one thing that you need to worry about, although there's lots of others. Um, and understand, learn, just learn the legalese about uh, mitigating statements such as contains or made with because the best ingredient is often listed under the word contains or made with and that may not be the primary ingredient. It depends on your local regulations uh, or whether those regulations are even policed. So you want to look at it with a bit of a legal eye and understand uh, whether or not you're being tricked by the label. And... Um, of course, you can make organic bread at home with organic flour, but don't make don't. If you just buy flour, regular flour, it's already got um, it's already got the um, if it's enriched flour, it's got uh, folic acid added to it. If it's not organic flour, it's got probably got glyphosate uh, contamination of of some kind. Um, Stephanie, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, this has just been an excellent discussion. I'm sure that uh, uh, it scared the pants off a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's my intent. I want to get people to go organic. And you're so right that if people, you, you vote with your pocketbook, and if you say, I won't buy your toxic food, then they won't make it because they'll know that they can't sell it and that we've got to do this bottom up from the consumers. It's got to be a revolution coming from the consumers. Right. And the regular bread in the supermarket is is dangerous. If you walk into a supermarket and you're buying regular bread, it's dangerous just from the folic acid. If it doesn't say organic on it, it has folic acid in it and the folic acid is causing you problems. So don't buy regular bread and contact the brand who made that bread and tell them why you stopped buying it. They care that they just lost the, the income from you. So <laughs> I can't right. tell people enough. Tell the brands. Tell the ones you buy why you're buying it. Tell them what you want to see or what you need to see on the label. Tell the brand you stopped buying why you stopped buying it. Because Excellent. it's only when you tell the brands what you're doing and why you're doing it that they will fall into line because at the end of the day, it's the dollar we spend in the supermarket that is driving this whole business. And if we can do it, if we can make our choices with the kind of informed consent that we can develop after a conversation like this, then actually we can have powerful influence on the system and we can do it in a season or two of crops. Right. And we don't need legislators to tell us what to eat. We can simply decide on our own. That's the beauty of it, right? We just demand it and then they'll produce it. Absolutely right. The, it, regardless of what happens, with informed consent, we can actually make the whole market fall into line with what we expect and we can make it safe and we can make it nutritious. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody and this Patterson Meta. Is reinventing and this the supermarket. Is reinventing the supermarket.